listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Two weeks ago, we began and we looked at Adam. And we saw Adam as God's representative, that Adam was created, he was there to enjoy all of God's creation, he was to come into and to represent all of humanity that would come after him. And we saw that Adam failed miserably in the garden. But thousands of years later, the second Adam comes. Jesus, the second Adam that represents all humanity once again, is unlike Adam's failure, Jesus succeeds and does what Adam never could. And then last week, my buddy Luke Bilberry uh, took us to that great story of Noah and how God was using Noah to once again point to his son Jesus. So years after Adam, God looked out over mankind and he saw every intention of their heart was evil and it grieved God that he even made mankind. God sent a flood as a judgment because of their wickedness. But in God's mercy, he looked upon favor, that first use of grace with Noah. After the flood, God promised that he would never use a flood again to destroy the world. God used Noah to save the world. And thousands of years later, we see a better Savior. We see a better Noah in Jesus Christ. So today we're going to our third type of Christ. I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we've got a huge mountain to climb today. We've got 12 chapters to cover this morning, so we're going to move quickly. It'll be not like we usually do where we kind of focus in. We're going to kind of go through this more as kind of an overview. I will point out some things along the way, ending in Genesis chapter 22. But you are looking to Genesis chapter 12, and as you're turning there, I want to ask you this morning, how do you know that someone really loves and trusts you? There's two truths about love that I know. One, people can tell you that they love you and they can tell you that they trust you, but it really isn't until time passes and there's things that you go through, experience that happen, that you really can begin to actually believe those words. So you've you've seen the, the young Engaged couple, ooing, eyeing over each other, hanging on each other's words and all of those things. And you know that, man, they say they love each other, but it isn't until you have had that knockdown drag out. And it isn't until families have clashed and they've got to take up for their bride or she's got to stand up for her husband in something until things happen and they walk through a tragedy. That is when you begin to say, now, now I know. Another thing about love and trust is that often in our lives, men and women, I know we can feel very unloved and we can feel unlovable at times. I know some people I've talked to in the past have even had a hard time believing that their spouse even loves them. So how do we really know someone loves us? How do we really know that someone trusts us? How can you really know that God, even one that you've never seen, how do we... Honestly, can we honestly say that we believe that He loves us? Well, today I want us to discover that. You're there in Genesis 12. Well, Genesis 1 through 11, 
poses a question that the rest of the Bible from Genesis 12 through Revelation 22 answers for us. So we saw God created the earth by speaking it into existence from absolutely nothing. And he created human beings from the dust of the earth to dwell on his creation and enjoy it. But then God witnessed the rebellion of the human race against his love and his authority. And those first acts of rebellion were very individual focused and even around a family. But soon the whole human race that we saw last week was spinning a web of corruption and violence. Which even a worldwide flood could not wipe out the sin from the human life. And the height of that is reached in Genesis chapter 11, where you read of the Tower of Babel. And at the end of that story, people are against each other. They are against God. And now they are spread all over the earth. And so when God sent everybody and he scattered them out, they took their sin with them. We read the story and we could actually wonder, is there absolutely any hope for the human race in the condition that they're in? It's one thing when it's all focused and we can kind of keep things corralled. But now that as the people have spread, sin has spread over the face of the earth once again. I mean, can the nations, can the nations of earth ever be restored to that blessing and favor that God desired for them? And so this is where Genesis 12, where we really would expect or I expect God to do something powerful and miraculous. Okay, you've tried the flood, it didn't work. The people have now scattered, sin is over the face of the earth. Now God, do something big. And what we see is God doesn't do that. He takes a 75-year-old man. Let's pick up in Genesis 12. Beginning in verse 1, I want to read the first five verses. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Grow from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went and as the Lord had told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sari or Sarah his wife and lot his brother's son and all their possessions they had gathered. And to the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they went out and they set up for the land of Canaan. This is a great passage to use. We often use when we're talking about missions. That you have been blessed to now go out and to be a blessing to other people. And I hope as you came in this morning you noticed we're able to finally get up our missions focus wall. And man, I want you to take some time and to get to know those missionaries that we have listed. There's some of the missionaries that Bethel supports. But... God tells Abram at this time, you, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. But what God does is he speaks to Abram and he tells him to leave everything that you know. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave the comforts that you have. God says, leave it all. And he doesn't even tell Abram where he's going to take him. He just says, go and I will show you. And along with that command, God gives a promise. The Lord promises, Abram, that I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And those that bless you, Abram, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will stand up against. And what does Abram do? He takes his wife. 
He takes his nephew, all of his possessions, and he leaves. No talking back, no lip service. He just obeys. Along the way, God stops Abram and Canaan, and he says, this land that you're looking at, one day it will be yours. I am going to give you this land. But since the Canaanites were still in land, it just wasn't time yet. So Abram travels on to Egypt. There is a big famine in the land. And when they come to Egypt, Abram makes a grave mistake. When he gets to Egypt, he is so afraid of Pharaoh that he takes his wife, pulls her aside, and he says, here's what we're going to do. They're going to see how beautiful you are. And so I want you to tell them that you're my sister. Knowing that Pharaoh is going to notice her beauty, he's going to bring her into his home, and he is going to make Abram's wife his own. For the first time we see... Abraham sacrificed his bride to save his own life. He sacrificed his bride to save himself. Sure enough, Pharaoh sees her beauty, takes her in to become his wife. And the Lord afflicts Pharaoh's home with a plague. Pharaoh realizes this and he comes to Abraham and says, What have you done? Take her back. In chapter 13, we would pick up. And they leave Egypt and they settle in Negev. But Abram and Lot have acquired so many herds of animals that the land cannot house both of them. So he looks at his nephew Lot. He says, you take your pick. He looked down the valley and he says, I'm going to take Sodom and Gomorrah over there. The land is plush. It'll feed our herds. They'll grow. And and Abram says, I'm going to stay up here on the plains of Canaan. So I want you to turn to chapter 13. Genesis 13, look at verses 14 to 16. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give you to your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So the Lord once again assures Abram that this land that I told you years ago was going to be yours. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And in fact, he says, I'm going to bless you that your offspring, that they cannot even number the dust of the earth. They will be so many. And Genesis chapter 13 begins to unfold. So twice now, Abram has heard these words from God. But we have to ask the question, does Abram really believe him? Does Abram really believe that God loves him? Does Abram really believe that he can trust God? Chapter 14, a battle breaks out. Sodom and Gomorrah is invaded and Lot is taken captive. Word travels to Abram and Abram puts together an army of servants and he goes out to rescue his nephew Lot. And Abram's victorious. The kings of Salem and Sodom and Gomorrah are so grateful to Abram. And next week we're going to look at how is Christ seen in the the high priest of Melchizedek. They come and they offer him all these things and he refuses to take any of it. He says, only what my men have eaten will we take. Chapter 15, once again the Lord comes to Abram. Look at verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. 
your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household is going to be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, no, he will not be your heir. For your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look, look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram, an old man, walked into the darkness under the great trees where he had pitched his tent. Although he was wealthy, he was nomadic, owning no fixed land. And he comes to a clearing beyond his camp, and he looked up at the splendor of heaven. Abram thought his life had been long, it had been difficult. He'd even been a a citizen of Ur in his first career. Abram could reflect back on his journey from Ur through Canaan to Egypt, where his family almost starved to death. He had settled a dispute of the land with all the herdsmen, And he'd even rescued his nephew Lot from death. But what we read about what fills Abram's thoughts is he stood gazing up at those stars. It was not the battle he had fought. It wasn't even the wealth he had given up. Abram was communing with God. And his heart had carried a great burden for decades. That he finally voiced with God. How would the promise come true Because him and his wife were childless. Abram wants to believe God. I believe that. I believe Abram desperately wants to be able to believe him. So Abram looks up at the stars. The promise of land and children. It seems so far from being realized. God has promised land. But he's still nomadic. God had promised to make him a great nation, but his wife was barren and well past childbearing years. But once again, the Lord showed grace to Abram. He says the stars again, and he reassures him of the promise. And at that moment, the scripture says that Abram believed in the Lord. I believe that Abram was given just enough. I believe he was given just enough of the good news of the Messiah that Abram believed. But although Abram believed, he still asked for a sign. And I mean, can't you just feel how desperately Abram wants to believe what God is saying? Abram, I believe, wants to believe God 100%, but he just can't get there. He is trying with all that he has, and he just can't get to that final stage of Fully trusting God with everything that he has. Man, I don't know if you're like that, but I can so relate to that. I I so desperately want to believe God and to trust in God with everything that I have. And it often seems like I just can't quite get there. But he believes God and he asks for a sign. So God gives Abraham some instruction. This is what happened. He says, I want you to gather animals. And he gives him a list of the animals that he wants to to bring. And you can read them there. 
And he says, I want you to take these animals and I want you to cut them in half. You lay one half on one side of the road, you lay the other half on the other. And Abram is put into a deep sleep. And God passes through these pieces as a smoking pot and a burning torch. And it says in verse 18 that at that moment the Lord made a covenant. In fact, when you look at the meaning, it says the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. God was securing these promises for Abram. God was showing Abram how serious he was about what he was telling him. This is what God is saying. When you would split two animals, you would get with that person you were making that vow with, and you would pass through those pieces. But notice Abram doesn't pass through them. It's that smoking pot in that torch, the symbols of God passing through those pieces. And God is saying, if I do not keep my word, Let the same thing that you just did to these animals happen to me. And God is showing Abram that he can be trusted and he can be believed 100% with all that he has. And God says, that is how serious I am. And what a commitment and a vow from God we see. We know what happens. Sadly again, Abram fails. Instead of waiting and trusting God for a child, him and his wife take matters into their own hands. And Abram fathers a child by Hagar in Genesis 16. But God is merciful. God is gracious to Abram. Even though he failed, God comes once again in Genesis 18 and he promises Abram a son. And if you were to read through 18, he doesn't just say a son. He now says, I'm going to give you a son and his name is Isaac. Meaning God is saying, listen, Abram, I have this under control. So in Genesis 19 through 20, it brings us, that's the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of the wickedness and the destruction that they're seeing, Abram fails. He destroys He's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram once again fears for his life with Abimelech, the king of Gerar. And he offers again his bride to save his own life. He didn't learn the first time. So again, in Genesis 19 and 20, he goes to his wife and he says, here's our plan again. And God brings judgment again on Abimelech. So twice now, Abram or Abraham has sacrificed his bride to save his own life. But in Genesis 21, we finally see God fulfilling his promise of an heir to Abraham. Turn to 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, The Lord visited Sarah. And as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, and Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Finally. God had brought forth the promised son. Abraham and Sarah had gone almost 25 years. And a child was finally here. Now everything, every promise, 
every blessing hinges on this one son. From a dead womb comes forth life. And from this child, it says that nations will be created and they will be blessed. And can you imagine that Abraham and Sarah were going to do anything to protect that son Isaac? Because everything rests on that one son. Every blessing, every promise, it hinges on this one son named Isaac. And if anything was going to happen to him, all the promises could never be fulfilled. I believe Abraham would have risked his life because he did for his nephew Lot. And I think he would have done anything to protect that promised son Isaac. But our God is not finished. In Genesis chapter 22, please turn there. It's one of the hardest chapters in the Bible to read. Isaac is finally here. And can you imagine Abraham probably never left Isaac's side for more than just a few moments. He was going to know where Isaac was at all times. If anything was about to happen, he wanted to be there. Because he knew upon this child stood everything. And if you were to read through this book, and I was looking at some of the literary things that says that things are moving at such a fast pace, and you get to chapter 22, and it's as if the literature begins to slow down and put everything in slow motion. Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am I. He said, take your son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Don't miss this. God says, Abraham, your son, your only son, whom you love. Meaning God knows exactly what he is asking Abraham to do. He says, Abraham, I want you to know I completely understand. And I know what I'm asking here. And Abraham doesn't even hesitate. I mean, as parents, we wonder how could this be? And they head out on a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. Look at verse 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they went both of him together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham looks at his son. He said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, so they went up both together. Heart wrenching verses. In verse 8, where it says, God will provide, that word provide actually translates to where it would say, God will. We'll see. I do not believe that Abraham knew God was going to provide a ram. 
If you were to look at Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19, just let me read it to you. He says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in an act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered what God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What Abraham is saying, he is saying to his son Isaac, he's saying, son, all I know is God has a plan. Romans 4, 18 and 19 says this, In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. And as he was told, so shall your offspring be. And when he had weakened in, did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was a hundred years old, or when he had considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham knows Isaac was created out of death, a barren womb, and now he is hoping against all hope that if he goes through with this sacrifice, that the only hope he has is that God will have to raise Isaac back to life. In fact, this is Abraham's only hope. And he is asked at this moment to put all of his trust in the life of his son Isaac, on this altar. He has heard God's promises over and over again. But now, he is saying, Abraham, do you love me? God is looking to Abraham and saying, Abraham, do you trust me with everything that you have? With all of your being, with everything you have, do you trust me? Look at verses 9 through 14. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and he laid him on the altar, on top of the wood, then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went, and he took the lamb, and he offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, the Lord will see. And as it is said that day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be Provided, and what an emotional roller coaster it was for Abraham. You know, we can see so many things from this. In Isaac, all of the promises and blessing rested upon him. And torn between love of a child and obedience to God, Abraham is faced with the most agonizing choice. 
And when the knife was raised to slay his son, in this moment, Abraham showed he was willing to put God's call above every other commitment and emotional attachment. And at that moment, the test ended. I mean, at that moment before the knife was coming down, Abraham hears words that probably bring unbelievable relief. Do not lay a hand on the boy. But I want you to focus on what is said next. The angel looks at Abraham. The angel of the Lord says, Now, now I know that you love me because you were willing to not withhold your son, your only son whom you love. God was using everything in Abraham's life commanded him to leave his homeland, famine in Egypt, promise of a land that will be his and his descendants, a barren wife with a promise of a son, and the most difficult test of offering up Isaac on that Mount Moriah, God was using all of this to bring Abraham's faith all the way home. And God says, now, now I know that you love me. Because you would not withhold even your son from me. So where do we see? Where do we see Jesus in Abraham and Isaac? And why does it matter? One, Abraham is called the father of faith. Our precious Jesus is later called the author and perfecter of our faith. In Isaac's death, we are told that all the nations would be blessed. And in Jesus, all nations are blessed. Isaac was called his only father's son, the loved son. Jesus is the only and loved son of God the Father. But here's the best part. Jesus is the better Abraham. He is the better Isaac. You know, Abraham twice sacrificed his bride to save his life. But Jesus gave his life to save his bride. On Mount Moriah, that blow of death was withheld from Isaac. But on Mount Calvary, the blow of death was not withheld from coming down on Jesus. Isaac's life was spared by a ram that was caught in a thicket and died in Isaac's place. But Jesus is that sacrificial lamb that dies in the place of sinners. Now we need to think about Abram. Abraham standing on that Mount Moriah. Think about him standing up there alone. His son bound, laying on that altar, that knife raised above his son. And can you imagine what it was like for Abraham to hear that angel say, Stop. Now. Now I know you love me. Now imagine if Abraham had been standing on that mountain called Calvary. I believe if he was there to look up at the Son of God hanging on a cross, I believe Abraham would be able to look up and to say, God, now, now I know you love me because you were not, with, you were not willing to even withhold your Son from me. So how can you know for sure that you are loved by God? All you have to do is look at the cross. So if you're here this morning and you're someone that doesn't know that God loves you, I invite you to believe. 
I invite you to repent and to rethink your thinking and know that God will use everything possible in your life like he did Abraham to soften your heart and to lead you to a saving faith. So this morning, I want to invite you to ask God if it's true that Christ came to save you. And I have faith that he will give you the answer. But if you are here this morning and you are someone that's put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I invite you to fully believe in the King that cares. This morning, we're going to take communion. And as you take that bread and that juice... I want you to look down, and I want you to be able to say, now, now I know you love me. I want to invite the men to come forward this morning, going to serve, and you can know you are loved this morning with two truths. Romans 8, 31 through 32 says this, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He also not graciously give us all things? You know you are loved because God was not willing to withhold His Son. Then the second truth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Because it's in the sacrifice of God's Son, His only Son, His loved Son, that we can be made right with God. Let's pray. Father, You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You knew on that day exactly what you were asking of Abraham. He did not take it lightly, but he obeyed. He'd failed you in the past, but on that moment on Mount Moriah, his faith was brought all the way home. It wasn't because of him, it was because of you. In that moment that you said, stop, now, now I know. And so we are so thankful that thousands of years later that you sent a better Abraham, a better Isaac. But on that Mount Calvary, you were not even willing to withhold your son so that we could now say, now, now I know you love me. So Father, in those moments that we may doubt, may we remember as we take this bread and we take this juice today, we can say with confidence, now, now I know you love me. So today we want to remember. We want to remember you giving your love to your only son. For sinners like us. That we came not as friends. But as enemies. But you are bringing us all the way home. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.